through the book of Philippians. You've got a blue piece of paper. I hope you do. There should, I put some on the back table. If you don't have one, they're on the back table. This is the, uh, it's the end of Philippians chapter 1. And because of our chapters, we sometimes, uh, I don't know, we, we, we look at these chapters and we say, okay, well, this is the last paragraph of Philippians 1. Must not be very important. Well, as a matter of fact, you know, Paul didn't write it like this at the end of this chapter. He's just writing this letter. And as a matter of fact, this is the beginning of a new section in the book of Philippians where Paul switches from talking about his own situation to their situation. And the reason why he talked about his situation is so that they could be encouraged in their situation. So this morning, Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, it's right in the middle of your sheet between the lines. Let's read it, um, and I'll read it, and then we'll introduce the lesson for this morning. Now, I'll just say to you, I've underlined some things in the verses so that you can see mm, it's a very difficult couple of sentences. Paul's really concerned about them, more concerned about them than he is you know, writing in some clear, orderly way that somebody 2,000 years later could have a good Sunday school lesson about. He's, he's concerned about them. And I've changed the order of the English in the first verse, just like Paul wrote it. Uh, the, you know, Greek is it's just a bunch of phrases that are all put together. Phrases make verses, verses make paragraphs. When we're reading a letter, we're, we're looking at paragraphs. The, the paragraph is the building block of a New Testament epistle. But the, the Greek language is, is all these little phrases that uh, put together these verses. And so it's good for us, uh, as we're trying to meditate on Scripture, to kind of let this thing blow up Guys, you, you, you've seen these exploded diagrams of car engines where they blow up all the parts so that you can see how they relate to one another. It's good for us to, to kind of let this text blow up, see, see all the various parts, and have these various phrases, you can picture in animation, have these phrases brighten uh, as, as I read through this. Uh, so anyway, all that, to, here, here's the text. Only... Worthy of the gospel of Christ, let your manner of life be. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. All right, that's Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. And again, it's a new section of the letter. Now, I'm calling this lesson for us this morning, dual citizenship. You know, maybe, that we have four children, the last of whom was born in Ontario, Canada. 
And we were told by the authorities, the Canadian authorities, that any child born of two U.S. citizens anywhere in the world is a U.S. citizen. We got that. All right, we understood that. She's, we're in Ontario. We're going to have that baby in Ontario, Sarnia General Hospital. But she's going to be a U.S. citizen because we're U.S. citizens. What we were not told is that you have to go to Detroit and pay some money and get a document that says that. We were not told that. We should have known it. We weren't told it. And so when she was 16 applying for a driver's license in the great state of Iowa, she couldn't get one. Because she was born in Canada with a birth certificate that declared that, but could not prove with a document to that that she was a U.S. citizen. So, you know, hundreds of dollars later, months later, uh, we went to a swearing-in ceremony downtown Des Moines and got the document. Uh, so she's a dual citizen, and she was born in Canada. Now, she, she doesn't have documentation for Canadian citizenship, but there's a part of her mind and heart that says when you talk about Canada, something lights up in her because that's where she was born. But she lives here. And so the longer she's here, the less that Canadian side of her experience has, has influence. Well, you know, we're the same way. Uh, we're U.S. citizens. We live in Germantown, Tennessee, or somewhere near Germantown, Tennessee. We live in the United States of America. Uh, we want to be good citizens. Uh, some, are, some in here are military veterans. Uh, we value our citizenship. We do our duty. Hopefully, we just voted, maybe even for Mr. Chisholm, who was just in here, uh, shaking hands and thanking uh, us for, for maybe doing that, or Mr. Mashburn, who's walking around here on a scooter. Uh, we, we, do our, we do our duty as citizens, but we're also citizens of the kingdom of God. And sometimes our citizenship in the kingdom of God isn't as influential as God would have it be. And so that's what this text is about, is remembering who we are and the implications of who we are on our value system and our lifestyle. That's really what this is about. I don't know who this guy is, but I like what he said. Real religion, and by that he means real relationship with God. He's not just talking about being religious. Real religion is a way of life, not a white cloak to be wrapped around us on the Sabbath and then cast aside into the six-day closet of unconcern. We all know what Christmas and Easter Christians are. We all know what SMOs are. Sunday morning only. We live like heck the rest of the week. We smell like the world. We talk like the world. We look like the world the rest of the week. But on Sunday, we spiff up. We come do our duty for an hour, and then we go back into the world in which we are so comfortable. Okay? That's, that's what he's addressing here. It's a way of life. Did you hear Jimmy just say, as a matter of fact, where's your church? Well, on Monday morning, you know, they could be in the hospital. They might be blah, blah, blah. They're all over the place, okay? Uh, we're citizens of the kingdom, and this lesson is designed to remind us of that and maybe to talk about some implications thereof. Eugene Pat Peterson, uh, he's a guy that uh, 
translated the Bible known as The Message, and he's been a pastor for a long time, and he wrote a book about being a pastor. And he talked about when he went to Maryland to pastor one of his first churches, he did not immediately get along so well with his congregation, and here's why. He says, quote, My imagination had been schooled in the company of Moses and David. My congregation kept emotional and mental company with television celebrities and star athletes. I was reading Karl Barth and John Calvin. They were reading Ann Landers and People magazine. And because of that disconnect, he, in love for them, labored to help them understand, as our brother Jim Turner says, whose they were and who they were. So again, this paragraph is all about remembering our identity and drawing some implications about our activities as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Again, I already said early in the lesson, Paul has turned from his situation to their situation, and he's going to talk about their situation all the way through uh, chapter 2 and verse 18, I think it is. And this first verse, and really this is my goal, is just to have us think about this verse. This first verse is the banner and the influential idea really through the whole book of Philippians. All right. Do you see here what uh, Mr. O'Brien, who is an excellent scholar of Paul, uh, says this about, about really verse 27. The apostle focuses on one highly significant demand in verse 27. One idea, just one thing. As a matter of fact, Carl Barth said, it's like he's lifting his finger in our faces. I had a roommate. Uh, his name was... Dan, and uh, he was a big man on campus in college, and then we both went to seminary together. This guy's like varsity basketball player, played football for Purdue. He was like, he was a big man on campus. And uh, so we're both roommates our first semester out in seminary in Dallas. <laughs> he was so intense. We had this, we had one bedroom, twin beds in this little apartment, one bedroom apartment. We're talking one night <laughs> and uh, he was over there on that bed. I'm in this bed. He, he leaned up on his uh, left elbow and he, in the dark with his finger was making this point to me. And as I, as I, uh, you know, I totally forgot what he the point that he was making, but I still remember, dude, you need to calm down a little bit. You are so intense. But that's what Paul is doing here. He's super intense uh, with these Philippians. And it's not an angry intensity. It's a loving intensity. He loved these folks. Uh, So this one highly significant demand, we'll see that in the use of the word only here in just a second. Uh, He does not set forth, I'm reading this quote, he does not set forth a series of exhortations but just one, just one exhortation. Yet, this admonition is comprehensive, covering every aspect of the reader's lives. Further, it stands as a heading to the whole section so that the subsequent admonitions and statements expand and explicate what is involved in living worthily of the gospel. And that indeed is the uh, exhortation of verse 27. Now, uh, in the Greek text, he starts with this word, and it's not connected uh, with, with what goes beforehand. And again, in your English Bible, as I look at mine, I've got a little paragraph symbol in verse 27. But I'm telling you, this is a major shift as, as he's now addressing their circumstances, and he uses this word, manon. 
mono, mono, a monoplane is a plane with one wing. Uh, monon, I think that's, we, uh, 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 there's mono sound and stereo sound. Do y'all remember that? Y'all probably had record players that were mono sound. Uh, one thing, that's what he's saying, all right? So, you know, you know how you were when your kids were leaving or you're giving your kids advice, you know, they're doing something for the first time and you, you're, uh, you know, let me, that's what he's doing here. It's very important for y'all because of your circumstance and situation only. And then here's this phrase, worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, remember last week, you remember Paul was saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is better by far for me to depart and be with Christ. Remember, we talked about that just last week. And I'm telling you, in my opinion, that is something that is easy to agree with in church on Sunday morning. But when you are transferring your spouse to hospice, I don't know what that looks like to say, it is better by far for me to depart and be with Christ. That's hard. But that, and again, last week I said, is this guy for real or is he just the voice of some Hallmark company? This This is a man who is genuinely expressing this opinion. I cannot wait to go and be with Christ. That's not natural. That's supernatural. That is a graced, grace-based, gospel-focused, Christ-saturated comment. Paul had seen Jesus. He'd met him. Jesus had changed his life, completely refocused his passions, redirected him. Somebody I was just talking this week, there's been so much, you know, there's a lot of news going on, political comments, and uh, somebody used this phrase, mid-course corrections. Mid-course corrections. They're going this way, but, you know, we need to see the situation and all the information and make a mid-course correction so we go in a better way. Paul had had a radical mid-course correction to the point where he says, it's all about Christ in my life. That's what I'm investing my life for for Jesus. Why, Paul? You, you know why. I mean, he, he, he had experienced the grace of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the, the love of Christ in his life. It was the ultimate joy and pleasure of his existence. And so, out of great love for this congregation, and, and they probably didn't understand the significance of the fact that Paul was for them. They're not just out there struggling in a hostile environment. There's a man who loved them, was praying for them, and and had enough regard for them to write him a letter and say, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. He's not going to stop doing what he started doing in your life, whether you know it or not. This is, this is what he was saying. So here's what I want you to do. This and only this, worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I have to ask. I have to ask myself, 
How significant is the death, burial, resurrection, life, mediatorial session, promise of return of Jesus Christ to me? I'm telling you guys, I I got a heart like Mercury, prone to wander. Uh, I'm constantly in need of mid-course corrections. Naturally speaking, this is not me. That's why I have a Savior. Like Charles Spurgeon said, I have a great need for a Savior. I have a great need for a Savior. Were you here Wednesday night? Don't, don't raise your hand in pride. We were here. Where were you? Uh, but if you were here Wednesday night, you heard our pastor say, and he's, in the first, first, he's, at, he's at the head of the line, my heart is prone to wander. At every turn, there's a law. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I am prone to rely on myself instead of God. I am prone to trust myself and not God. I am prone to worry and not acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Uh, I am prone to care about the significance of other things and diminish the significance of the fact that God sent His Son into the world as a Redeemer and is a, is a present Savior pleading for His people to repent and love him in such a way that would be attractive to those on the outside. Um, meanwhile, is it just business as usual for us? Uh, worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's it. Only worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, check this out. Uh, here's the last phrase of this verse. Let your manner of life be. Okay, uh, your, your Bible may say, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, something like that. But, but here's the word that Paul uses here. And he only uses this word two times in all of his writing. And the other uh, use of this word is in chapter 4 of this letter to the Philippians. And this word is, this verb is polituistha. Polituistha. Now, in the Roman culture, a polis or polis. You ever heard of the word metropolis? Metropolis. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, it's a compound word. Metro. I don't know what metro means. What does it mean? Urban. What does it mean? Metro. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, okay. You guys are as ignorant as I am. Uh, city. Somehow. City, city. Big city. I don't know. Me- Okay, okay. I should have done my homework. Clearly, I haven't. Uh, so here we are. Rut. Get out of the rut. Uh, polis means city, okay? So we get the word politics, uh, city government, politics comes from this word, all right? So here, here's, here's the appeal. Here, here's what Paul is doing. And we, we you know, need to go to Philippi, which I think would be an excellent uh, idea. Uh, uh, Philippi was not in Italy, right? Philippi is in the province of Macedonia, uh, which is now Greece, all right? It's on the eastern side of Greece. Some of you guys have maybe been there. Uh, Caesar, over in Rome, deemed declared Philippi to be a Roman colony. And in that declaration, possibly none of the people had to pay property taxes, may not have had to pay any taxes, being a Roman colony. Quite probably, there were a bunch of guys in Philippi, kind of like there are in Grace of Anne, that were veterans, veterans of the Roman wars. And so for Rome to be designated as a 
colony and therefore all those people to be colonials or citizens of Rome, those guys didn't have to pay any taxes. They had this special status. And you recall that Paul was a Roman citizen. Now, he was born a Roman citizen because he's born in Tarsus, Roman colony there. Remember that guy one time was really surprised? Oh, dude, I had to pay for my citizenship. You're natural born? Yeah, Paul says, yeah, I am. Well, here's the point. Paul is using this word designed to elicit their sense of loyalty and duty. Because these were men, leaders in that community, in that polis, who had put their lives on the line for something greater than themselves. They knew what it was about to be dedicated to a cause bigger than themselves. They knew what it was about to be loyal to a Lord. And so Paul says, I want you to live your life as a good citizen, as a veteran of this kingdom of God. And that's what this lesson is about. Now, Paul, knowing those guys and knowing their regard for duty, knowing the fact that those guys had been in, I don't know if they were really in trenches or not, probably not trenches, probably not in planes together, but they might have held shields together and stood side by side with their spears out, with their helmets on. And, and so when Paul tells them in this paragraph, as he does in verse uh, 27 at, at, at the end of the verse, this idea of striving side by side, that's a compound word. Soon means together. But look at this Greek term, athlontes. You know what an athlete is. He's a person who is involved in competition, striving. So, hey guys, like you fought together at that battle of so-and-so, I want you to stand firm here in Philippi. And no, notice, do you see what he says in verse 28? Not frightened by your opponents. When they come after you, don't be afraid. I'm telling you, those guys viscerally and uh, mentally remembered that sense of here we are lined up, here they come across that battlefield. They all knew what it was like to be intimidated and frightened by an opponent and wanting to break ranks and run to save their own butts instead of standing there and, and serving their master. So Paul is tying into that. He's talking to men here who understand duty. He's talking to people who understand love for their city and their country and their Lord. And he's saying, as good as that is, you have another Lord. There's another battle. Uh, so that's what he's talking about here. So really, there's three parts to this paragraph. First of all, he tells them what, and that's what we've been talking about here. I want you to live your life, and that's an awkward translation, and that's the beauty of Greek, that in this one verb, he taps into all that politics and duty and all that. Worthy of the gospel of Christ, appealing to their citizenship and the fact that they were veterans. That's, that's really the key statement and main idea of this whole section. Live out your heavenly citizenship worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he tells them what, and then he tells them how. He says three things about how they're to do that, and then he really tells them why, and he gives them this explanation down at the end. So first of all, I would like to help us think about 
our own spiritual identity here for just a second. And so I went through the New Testament. I have a couple of key texts here, and I just want to remind you of these verses that you're already familiar with, but that uh, but but the challenge is for you as individual people, men, women, you, you come to this class every week, you've never been to this class before. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is true of you. And I just want to remind you of this. Uh, in chapter 3, Paul is going to say, our citizenship, I've got this on the sheet, and you can see the, that this word citizenship, polituma, is related to that verb of poly, polituistha, the same root word of citizenship. Where's our citizenship? Chapter 3 and verse 20. Heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. Do you have a document to prove it in your wallet right now? No, you don't. But you have a Holy Spirit bearing witness in your heart, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you are a son or daughter of God, that you have been adopted, theological term, adopted into his family. You're a citizen of heaven. That's your home. All right, as you're struggling to come to terms with this reality, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Hey, guys, uh, please have mercy and regard for people in our community that did not grow up here, of which I am one. I thought about this the other day. I really love you guys. I think about you. I pray for you. I regard you. I regard your kids. I regard your parents. I regard your spouses. I know them. Very few of you know my family because I don't live here. My family's over there somewhere. You, now, you've seen my dad. You've seen some daughters, seen sister, et cetera. You know them a little bit, and you love them. I can tell you do. Uh, our citizenship is in heaven. We're not refugees anymore. Uh, Paul says, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints. You're my brothers and sisters. We're, we're fellow citizens together in this body of Christ. You're my family. That's what he's saying here. So the people in your row, they're family. They're your brothers and sisters. Is that a reality to you? Uh, it, it, it usually becomes a reality when you're suffering and people come into your life and, and show you the love of Christ. Uh, but it's, it's a true thing. That's how that can happen that way. You've been traveling and met fellow Christians, and you you just sense it. Maybe you don't sense it. You just experience it and don't reflect on it. But Many times we just sense this bond, like, man, I, I, I'm, I feel more comfortable with you than some members of my own family. Why is that? Because of the unity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul in Colossians says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Remember the video of the guy in the first service, Chris? I, I'm not living in the world of darkness anymore. I'm living in the light now. Uh, Paul in Colossians says this, You've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, The Christians who did, if you read history, the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. And then this guy says this, who saves more money, the person who thinks of retirement or the person who ignores it? 
That's a good, that's a good attitude. Those of you who have diligently saved for the future have been thinking about the future. Those of you who, like, uh, there's a Disney cartoon a long time ago. The ant was uh, saving, you know, and storing up, working, you know. The grasshopper sitting there under a tree with his big old legs crossed. Oh, the world owes me a living. You know, never thought about the future at all. And even as a little kid, I, I got that. It's like, man, the ants are better than the grasshopper. Grasshopper is irresponsible, takes one day at a time, you know, never thinking about tomorrow. See, it's a problem we have. We're dual citizens, and so often this country has so much more influence on us than the, the far country, the heavenly country. And Paul is saying to us all, reminding us, we're citizens of another kingdom. And so our lives need to be lived worthy of the gospel, which means we are never seeking to establish our own righteousness. It means that we are following a Lord who loved us and died in our place, and we are not trying to make life work apart from Him. We are not trying to live life in such a way that, yeah, every once in a while we think about, you know, when I was five years old, I prayed a prayer to Jesus and I got my sins all forgiven. And that's, you know, good. And I'll think about that on my deathbed. But, but now I'm just concerned about the affairs of this world. And I'm as worldly as they come. That's not living your life according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I think I have like two ideas down at the bottom of this sheet. Uh, This message about Jesus' death and resurrection is supposed to be consuming and life-altering. That's why we come here. We come here to be reminded of the greatness and the glory and the potency of the life of Jesus Christ and the bankruptcy of life apart from Jesus Christ. And we're come here to, to remind ourselves, even as Christians, that he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. He is. So ultimately, like that guy one time who asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? And Jesus said, the most important thing is to love God with everything you've got. Not just your words, but your heart. And that the people you see around you, if they're different color, if they're different background, if they're different language, you love them as yourself. And they can tell it by your regard for them, by the way you notice them. And you don't label them and lump them. You take them seriously as individuals, and you see them as image bearers of the Creator. And and their deepest and greatest need is to know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we sang it this morning. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. Yeah, I'm struggling here to make this practical. Like, what does this mean to live worthy of the gospel? Love each other. Love each other. And you say, I'm not very good at that. I don't really care about you very much. Okay, so that's why we need a Savior. Because as He conforms us more like Him, 
We become stronger. We become bolder. We, be, we become able to speak the truth in love without being intimidated. Not turning into noxious jerks and, and rabid isolationists, but going out into the world boldly loving Christ above all else. That's what he's telling us here this morning is not to forget that we have dual citizenship and we need to understand that world as much as we're comfortable in this one. Let's close in prayer. Lord, uh, may we all recognize that you have done for us something that nobody can ever take away and nothing can ever change. You, by your grace, through your, the death of your own son, have clothed us in the righteousness of the holy God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have called us to a life progressively being set in order by the powerful Spirit of God. May we not despair. May we be open and pliable to you. May we have soft, repentant, and bold hearts to love and serve you with the days that we have. Give us wisdom. Give us encouragement. Give us gratitude. Give us eyes to see the grace that you pour into our lives every single day. Lord, may we know that you're never going to leave us or forsake us, and that in this life we do not follow you alone. We follow you with a family fellow citizens of the kingdom of heaven. May this become more of a reality to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.